What's good, y'all? Welcome to the John Katz Show, episode number 49. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I uh, hope everybody had a beautiful week. Back from a little bit of a break again. This this break is a little different. I, I There was actually some stuff that I specifically wanted to process before I came back on. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But unlike some other hiatuses I've taken, this one felt a little more purposeful. Uh, sometimes I speak on stuff too quickly without processing it. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't jumping the gun on some stuff and really kind of be, and again, I, I'm going to get into all that actually in this episode, but kind of be more directed and, and maybe purpose-filled in some ways. I just got back a few days ago from my little sister's wedding in up in New York, so that was a lot of fun. I don't do a ton of functions like that. I should do more. Uh, it was a good time. I miss the cold. I like the cold weather. It's very refreshing. It makes you feel alive. I know people, you know, that live there and it's always great. I never got cold. My whole life, I never got cold. They always say skinny people should be colder. But from what I've looked up, like I used to just be able, I I lived up in Massachusetts for a little while, spent a ton of time, almost every holiday season as a kid in New York in the winter. And I grew up in Virginia. So, you know, I've been in very cold snow, whatever. I, you know, I could just go out and like a t-shirt or something. My understanding is a lot of thinner people do run warm. It goes along with the fast metabolism. And I always had a very low body temperature too. So I believe animals with lower body temps are more comfortable in the cold and vice versa. So I've always been very sensitive to the heat. It wasn't until a couple years ago that I even could like feel cold sometimes. Like I think just getting older, maybe that's part of it. But, um, big sidetrack there. I, yeah, I like the seasons. I like the cold. So I could have spent some more time in it. It did make me feel refreshed. Florida hasn't had any cool weather down here yet this year. I mean, we had like one night maybe in like the upper 50s or something, but it's still, you know, 80 degrees almost every day. So uh, it felt really nice. I missed that. Especially this time of year, holiday season, right after Thanksgiving, all the pretty leaves and everything. And, you know, I like hills. I like real trees. I like hills. Definitely not South Florida, the place to be if that's the stuff you're into. That's another story. But yeah, I guess I guess the stuff I was realizing on this break, and I was actually doing, you know, I, I've, I've actively taken a break from things recently that I've done my whole life. Uh, first, social media, which I haven't done social media my whole life, obviously. It's a, it's a newer thing. And even when it was around, I was never on. I still don't use them all really that much. But I do spend a lot of time on Twitter. Even if I'm not tweeting a lot, I'll often just be scrolling and reading stuff and what have you. And I do scroll the other apps. I scroll TikTok more than I like. Yeah, I know. Uh, don't get on me. And uh, Instagram a little bit, that type of thing. But I, I deactivated all my accounts for like almost a month of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything. I was like, I don't even want to be tempted to waste time on there. I just want to, you know, I get into a mode or I shouldn't even say I get into. I've gotten into a mode where I don't like the idea of a you know, obviously just wasting time on meaningless, especially if what you're seeing is like divisive bullshit on top of it, it's even worse. But then more importantly for me personally, I really not wanted things to kind of control me and, you know, where I'm just, I'm doing some mindless activity, more specifically as far as the control and all that goes. uh, I also very recently for really the first time in my life, stopped uh with with the weed with the with the marijuana listen i you know that's something i've been doing pretty much daily since i was 14 you know 14 15 pretty much daily so that's you know 
24, 25 years of using something really just to kind of feel normal, really just to take the edge off, not be so irritable and stuff. But, you know, people change and evolve and uh, I'm not knocking weed. I think it's I think it's beneficial medicine for a million reasons, for a million people. Just talking about my own personal experience. This isn't even about like, oh, just in moderation. The The moderation thing for me is more on, you know, almost everything for me boils down to like intent. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't even look at the the volume and frequency that somebody's using something so much as what are they using it for? And just for me personally, where I'm at, like, I didn't want to be, I'm already very anti-pharmaceutical. I take almost no, far, I'll take an Advil or a Tylenol or an aspirin or something if I have a headache, but um, I take no prescription meds and I'm really against even taking them unless it's, you know, I'll take an antibiotic if I get an infection every several years or something like that, but that's it. And I'm not knocking people who need that stuff. Obviously, people need a myriad of things. I'm just saying, unless I absolutely necessarily needed it, I'm I'm very against all that chemical stuff. But I always viewed the weed as more of a natural thing and more of non-toxic, which it is. Obviously, it's 10 times better than some, you know, opiate or benzo that you're getting hooked on from your doctor and you're on for life. But yeah, I hadn't even, you know, for the last decades, I haven't even been using it to quote unquote, get high. It's been something for me to just get to a baseline and feel normal. And I think when I first started and it was social for all my friends, like we would go out ninth, 10th grade and everybody was about smoking weed socially. I was always about like getting a stash so I could be home and use it at night and use it in the morning. Because when I first started that, whatever weird stuff I had going on in my head, it quieted it so much in a way nothing had before. So it quieted my brain and it just, it took this, uh, it took this edge off for me. And I was like, oh, I'm very in sync with this plant. Like this is something. And so I just never stopped. And as the years went on and the product gets stronger and better and I, you know, I I have more means or whatever, you know, it become more, more and more and more and more frequent, more volume, uh, more potency uh, all day, every day. Dabs and edibles and flower, flower, flower. And, uh, and so, yeah, that went on for 20 some odd years. So, you know, I maybe stopped for a few days here and there for a week, maybe a week, like a couple times, a couple weeks, maybe once when I was, you know, I think around 19 or 20. So talking a good 20 plus years of daily and really, you know, 25, but in any case, so right around just, just seven weeks ago past. I just like, that's it. I'm done. And I'd never, I'd actually had tried to stop before and I'd, you know, stop for like a day or something. I'm like, whatever. But there wasn't even any, you know, you hear when people quit stuff, they say similar things or I've heard similar things, but it's like, there wasn't really any trying. I just did it. I was like, there, there is a, there is a point you cross where you're actually legitimately within yourself making an honest decision. It's not, I'm going to attempt this thing and we'll see how it goes or whatever. Like, when you actually firmly decide something, you know, and you know when you're leaving that 1% inch of bullshit within yourself, you know what I mean? So I was just like, I'm done. And it wasn't even hard. It wasn't hard from the standpoint of that I wanted to keep smoking. It was it was difficult to first, listen, people that say it's not physically addictive, it's only mentally, it, it's addi- anything could be addictive, right? Yeah, you could be addicted to eating candy and, and sugar and stuff all day and a million other things. But for for me, it was extremely addicting. And those first few days, uh, the physical symptoms, I couldn't really 
eat properly. My digestive system wasn't really working. I knew even from having a day or so of like running out and waiting for some or, you know, maybe going a one or two day stretch here or there. I knew that the digestive stuff was an issue and sleep and irritability. So yeah, I couldn't really eat that well for probably about four or five days before I had like a full appetite. Wasn't sleeping great, although immediately the dreams go insane. To this day, the dreams are the most vivid I've had since I was a little kid. And everybody, I think, says that. And daily smokers, it's interesting. Full disclosure, I did eat a gummy the other night when I got home from New York. So I was going to get to that too. But I guess my point in bringing that up ahead of time is uh, the dreams went insane. Every night, lucid dreaming, vivid dreaming, the most detailed, memorable. I always have crazy dreams, I think, but I could never remember anything, just snippets. It was very rare that I have like a memorable dream. These I, I can still remember them now. Later in the day, they were as vivid as anything, and I could jump, keep jumping back in. This is even current, last night included. And, uh, and the night I got home from New York from the wedding, I was just wiped. The flight was delayed so many hours, had to switch to a different airline, come back to a different airport, then go pick my car up at the previous airport where the flight was supposed to go. So it was like a, you know, 10 hour travel day for a three hour flight and just sitting in a crowded, hot, sweaty, tiny little airport with 300 angry people. And so, yeah, that night I finally got home. I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat a gummy, take a bath. And it had like, it was so nice. It felt so nice because it was the proper effect. And I don't mean that it was high, but it's like, that's how it's supposed to be used as again, it comes down to intent. It's supposed to be like an experience, not I need this thing to feel normal so I can function all day. That's crazy. At that point, you have an addiction. If you're using any external substance to simply feel normal and function all day, that's some form of addiction. And you could apply that to a million things. But it felt really nice. And the dreams went extra crazy. And I think it's only really the daily stuff that messes with your REM cycles or whatever it is that suppresses in your REM that a lot of stoners are not really able to dream well. And then immediately when they stop, the compensatory mechanism within whatever makes a stream goes kind of crazy. And for me, it's been seven weeks and it's, it's calmed down a little bit from the first couple of weeks, but it's still amazing. And I actually look forward to having these dreams. I won't bore you guys with my dream details. Yeah, for anyone that smokes all the time knows what I'm talking about. And if you haven't taken a break in a while, the dreams are almost worth it. The dreams are like their own high in a way. And so, yeah, that's been an interesting journey. And I'm not some addiction medicine specialist or anything like that. But if anyone wants to ever hit me up on Twitter, uh, JohnCats79, I'd be happy to talk to you guys about all that in more detail. But so, yeah, in general, you know, I think I've evolved a lot as a person and I think I don't I don't see myself going back to the daily stoner bit. Uh, I think it was just like it was time with where I was in life. The universe just kind of woke me up and went, what, what are you doing with the weed all day still? And I think I'm going to enjoy it as it's meant to be as like a treat because uh, I do like it and it is nice feeling for me. Just like if you want to have a few glasses of wine or anything else, not being preachy, it's probably is less toxic than that. But again, if you're having five glasses of wine all day, every day to feel normal, that's the equivalent of what I was doing with this other thing. So it'd be more of a treat. It, it's, it's very, here's what I found. 
that it was making me pessimistic in a way I didn't realize. And I always kind of pride myself on being an optimist. And I feel way more optimistic about everything without it. And the the irritability thing is kind of short-lived. And I do kind of have pockets of being extra irritable since. But in general, um, way, it was only like a, a first couple weeks I was probably extra, extra irritable. And that was kind of always why I used it. Because I was like, oh, if I don't have it, I'm going to just be like, you know, really, really easily annoyed or antisocial and all that stuff. So... But I was never kind of willing to get over that hump. So to get over that hump took a couple weeks. And I do just feel clearer. And uh, I, I really wanted to get like a baseline of my true self. And I know it takes like a month to get out of your system. So uh, I'd gone like six weeks and a few days before eating that gummy. And now it's been seven plus weeks overall. So if you'd have told me that even a few months earlier, I'd be like, no, it'll be really hard. It, it wasn't. It was just like, and I didn't even like throw the weed out and get dramatic about it. That's what was funny. I'd left the gummies in the counter and counter a uh, kitchen cabinet and I shouldn't tell people where my stuff is. And yeah, there was stuff to smoke or whatever, but like, I didn't even think about, it'd be like two minutes where I'd be like, oh, I kind of really want it. And then it would pass. And I know people probably thinking like, oh, dude, you're talking about weed. Like it's, you know, fucking heroin or something. I'm not saying that. I'm, you know, for me personally, and I do know plenty of kids that are hooked on it in that way. So it's not. It's you can't OD on it, and it's not going to make you sick and um, you know destroy your body the way those other drugs will. But you could certainly be just as reliant on it as you are pretty much anything else. You know, even if the withdrawal symptoms are a little different or what have you. Again, you can become addicted or reliant or have compulsive behavior with anything. And for someone like me too, and I think this is with a lot of people when it comes to that stuff, it's like. It gets wrapped up in your identity somehow. So you kind of like own it as this This kind of uh, helps me to be myself or, you know, it, it becomes wrapped up in your perception of yourself. And I think that's actually opposite because the more you're just doing that to feel, you, you're getting further away from what you would actually be like at just a pure baseline level. So I do recommend, you know, for people that love it, great. It's nice to take a break from for sure. So yeah, and uh, something else I realized during this break, which I'd wanted, so I wanted to let that set in because I wanted to talk about the weed thing and I wanted to just fully kind of process the experience first and not just be like, hey, I'm a week into this thing and here's how it's going. I mean, I guess I could update people, but the other main thing that really kind of dawned on me regarding this show was like, you know, you ever hear the term imposter syndrome? You hear it about actors and people in different fields where they kind of feel like even though they're qualified and really great at what they're doing, they have this thing where like they feel like they're not worthy of it or that other people are somehow professional and legit and they're somehow not legit or not qualified in some way. I never really thought about that term too much, but I realized I was doing a lot of that in my head. You know, I've always wanted the show to be open and honest and it has been and I, I think I give a lot of uh, personal insights on things. However, I realize it's not been nearly focused enough, like uh, not nearly enough meaning, right? That it's been a kind of a, it's been a passion for me, but it hasn't had enough meaning. And it's it also, I haven't given it enough energy and discipline from, from both a, you know, like a quantity and, and consistency standpoint, putting out episodes at certain times and enough episodes. And then also from a content standpoint, I feel 
because I go, oh, you know, here's the interesting topics that I feel like ranting about. And I, and I have gotten into a lot of human behavior. So listen, a lot of the content I'm very proud of. It's not that at all. It's more that um, I think in my own mind, I just kind of been holding back in a way with like, for example, I, I here's something I've learned. Probably it's the number one lesson that keeps coming at me in my life. And I hear it from multiple people is that I, I put myself down a lot, even jokey ways usually, the self-deprecating stuff or whatever. No more of that shit. And I haven't been doing it. And if I catch myself doing it, I stop because, you know, words really are important. And it's funny, when you open yourself up to like a certain message, it kind of keeps repeating. There's so much synchronicity going on lately. I won't get into that again. It's from another episode, but noticing a lot of that. You know, if you start thinking about a certain theme, it's going to keep kind of arising into your life in different ways if you're open to it it's like it's like a lifted level of consciousness happening so you know along those lines of not insulting yourself and you know it's good to say certain things about your behavior right it's good to own up to things and to self-analyze things it's and listen i'm not saying don't be honest and open you should absolutely be self-analytical and and you know honest about things in an unashamed and, and objective way, but the the self-critical stuff, even in a jokey way, like I, I really learned not to put myself down ever. And then along those same lines, what I was going to say, the reason I brought this up is the opposite of it is it's okay to be proud of talents that you have and not have this feeling, well, I didn't earn this thing or what have you. You know, we've all been given this life and consciousness for a reason. It's it's a gift. It's a blessing. And then within that, we all have special skill sets. And I think people, and for me personally, there was like this, uh, this fear and this feeling of, you know, just because I don't have like a, uh, a PhD in, you know, human behavioral studies or whatever, I can still own the fact that I have a natural gift at just understanding, you know, I feel like my ability to understand and read people and read human behavior and all that is, is, uh, and to be able to articulate ideas as I fumble around with my fucking word, but to be able to take these thoughts, analyze them, and then share them with you guys. And then that ties in so much with the purpose and what I was saying about the show, which is, you know, it's been obviously this cathartic thing for me. And it's like this self ranting and, and shared therapy session or whatever you want to call it. But, if I'm not really doing it with a specific purpose, and and I do always say, you know, if it helps anybody, that's amazing. But like, I think the intent bleeds through. And I'm curious to see how this all manifests with the show in the future. It might not be evident right away, but I'm curious to see because for me internally, it's now coming from a different place. So I think it's going to end up going to a different place. And it's funny because even when I was talking there, like before I would, I do, if you watch the pod, you'll see me use the phrase a lot where I'd say, I've been so bad at that, or I'm really bad at that. That's something I won't say anymore. It sounds silly. Like you go, oh, I was really bad at doing that. What's the point when you're putting yourself down? You're not bad at anything. You were doing your best with whatever level of consciousness you're operating in at the time. Beating, beating ourselves up about shit accomplishes nothing. And like, and life is all about learning. Like we got to be so grateful when, when, Things go away that we had hoped that they weren't going to go or uh, as unplanned. That's when we get the most information and, and learn the greatest lessons. And really, that is what life is all about, is learning those lessons and getting that information. So as now, instead of saying, you know, I was really bad at that thing, I would say, 
I'm really glad I learned from that thing. Or here's here's a thing that really helped me learn some stuff. Like, let me share it with you. Like, this is something I went through that I learned a lot from. Because uh, that's all it is. Everything is a lesson, especially the painful stuff. The gift of life, like, this, <laughs> not to get all, but we read a couple really interesting books lately. Maybe I'll mention them later. But, like, we really are the universe and it sounds stupid and it's not a just you know it's a short simple thing to say that you can't just wrap your brain around but we we should not be chasing the universe because it already lives within us and this soul or whatever you want to call it our spirit our consciousness this thing that i do believe is eternal and does keep returning from life to life to life to life and the lessons you learn now uh, if you don't, you carry them into the next and so on and so forth. So I, I, I don't believe our consciousness is limited to this one little lifetime here. You know, time, time really is a man-made construct that we apply here on this earth. And we say, well, this is how many times this ball goes around this other big ball of fire. And this is how many times it spins. And we created this thing called time where we think we were born and then we die and and we act we our consciousness and soul play almost you know for religious people yes but even from just like a really spiritual standpoint and not all religions obviously believe in what i'm talking about with the reincarnation and that type of stuff but it definitely coincides with what i've always felt and it makes way more sense than thinking we've each been granted this unique consciousness and then because this thing expires that we're in we just go up that's it and it's dark forever it makes no sense the fuck are we even doing here in the first place the fact that we're here in the first place to me is already all the proof you need against that other scenario that a lot of people have in their minds and so time is really measured more in the experiences and in the lessons and in the information it's not really measured linear linearly the way we think of it and within the construct that we've created and i'm no physicist but if you talk to those guys they'll tell you much of the same thing in much more scientific terms and we really do know virtually nothing of the universe that we're in this 90 something billion light year across possibly infinite possibly multi-dimensional space that we're in we know nothing we go oh there's maybe this ufo like we're, we're we're nowhere near even being able to travel to the closest star, much less one that's millions, billions of light years. And then my point in bringing up the vastness of the universe, which I often do, is that that's we're we're all part of this strange and inexplicable thing, and we've been given this thing called consciousness. And you know, the show is really taken either speaking of either subconsciously or maybe consciously. Prior to taking this break, I'd done like four interviews in a row. And again, it's like when you open yourself up to a certain energy and you're really vibing, that's what I'm saying. You don't chase the universe. You become the thing you want to see in the world. And then you attract those things that coincide with that energy and with those vibrations and with that level of consciousness you're on. So with the interviews and then with books I've read and stuff that's been recommended to me, it's all coincided with the same type of stuff. Go back and watch those episodes, by the way. But just And along with all the consciousness stuff and the universe stuff, which I've always been intrigued by and always been passionate about, it's also gone a lot toward, and this this coincides, a lot toward the self-compassion and the self-love and some stuff I was talking about before. The biggest lesson I've learned along the lines I mentioned, not insulting myself, and that's just one aspect of it, is you 
being actually kind and compassionate with yourself. People think they have to give to others to feel good about themselves. You can give way more to others when you're good to yourself first. And I don't mean being a glutton for unhealthy things. That would actually be being cruel to yourself. So people sometimes take it that way semantically and they shouldn't. It's the opposite. Like if you were actually eating really healthy or exercise, like that would be, that's an example of being kind to yourself. But in all aspects, if you don't love yourself or you're ashamed of certain things or you're not in touch with your feelings and not in touch with who you are and why you feel certain things, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to have a whole lot of beneficial stuff to give to other people. So maybe that sounds cliche, love yourself first and then love other people, but you really have to. And, and you know, so I bring all this up. Something I've learned as much as I'm able to observe other people's behavior and feel I have this certain type of intuition for people and a a million other examples of that type of interest in human behavior and emotion and all of that, when it comes to our own emotions, and I, I, as somebody even who felt I've always been very aware and analytical of myself, when your own emotions are involved, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the most pragmatic, objective, clear-minded person in the world. If you have real emotions involved, you're going to be clouded in some sense. It is not possible to remain truly objective. Not, not necessarily in the sense of the actions you take, right? But as far as uh, the way that it affects you internally and your psyche and the way that it floods you with all of the, you know, emotions and, again talking about love or you're talking about that's the realest stuff in the world that is what the universe is made we spend all our time with all this meaningless stuff and we distract ourselves with all this meaningless stuff but at the end of the day you know what defines a life is all about what you have felt internally throughout that life without that there is no life that is your soul that is your consciousness now obviously you should be putting meaning into the world and so that's going to have a beneficial effect on other people which is all, you know, the level to get to, but people will put that that cart before the horse. And really, truly, 1,000%, if you want to help other people, people always have to make these decisions for themselves. When they truly evolve, when they truly make changes with whether it's behaviors or get over hurdles and obstacles they've been trying to get past, they have to decide to do that for themselves. And what makes people decide to do that more often than not is being inspired by seeing other people do it. So again, you become those things first within yourself. If you want to help somebody, become the best version of yourself and set the example to inspire that person. There's nothing more powerful than that. And 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 here's another thing I've learned as far as being kind to yourself. For me personally, and I know a lot of people are like this because I, I see people and what they say and how they feel. You, you cannot live in regret period, done. You can be sorry for things and feel bad for things because you're a kind and compassionate person, but you cannot live in regret. And whatever shitty thing you think you did and that created whatever kind of turmoil that you're digging yourself or dug yourself out of, be like, that's amazing that I was able to learn all that information and experience that crazy thing. I'm so grateful for the experience. Why not? A, you are getting the most information about yourself because when things are just going along smoothly and comfortably, you're not getting any real good information. But also, you can't go back and change anything. And then also, it really is just bad. It's bad karma. 
And if our souls and consciousness are indeed eternal, that's not the kind of karma you want. And then conversely, don't worry about the future much either. Like, I'm not making this religious at all by using the word faith, but you gotta really just have faith. That, oh, like, I'm here, I've been given this life. There's some sort of mysterious meaning behind it that no one's really exactly sure of. There's gotta be some kind of design or plan or some, there's, there's something greater going on there. And, and thus, 99% of the stuff I spend my time worrying about, I really shouldn't be worrying about. Does that make sense? You know, this, this last weekend at the wedding, I always love doing stuff like that because it gets me outside of my comfort zone. Uh, that type of atmosphere, definitely I'm not party, you know, crowded guy, much of a homebody. But a lot of that, a lot of that's my personality and a lot of it's been avoidance and uh, having dealt with lot of anxiety issues in the past and still still doing but like something I noticed when I was on this trip that I really was like oh wow I really made some significant internal changes lately just because I hadn't really done some certain things in a couple of years I hadn't gone to a family member wedding where I was dancing all night in like a decade at least but I also hadn't taken this specific type of trip you know in a year or two Never, never been a great traveler, not for maybe some of the more common reasons. I'm not afraid the plane's going to crash. I just don't like crowds and waiting and being controlled and locked into things. Uh, the planes bother me just from a constriction standpoint. It's, it's um, you probably more like a claustrophobia type thing. But, you know, that said, it, it wasn't bothering me at all, flying up or flying back. And both times there were severe delays and a ton of hassle, which I had already mentioned, and it still wasn't really bothering me. That's when I was like, oh shit, this would have really drove me crazy before. I don't know. Maybe I attribute that some some of that to the weed too. That's what I mean. So like for me personally, I think it was having uh, diminishing returns for sure for a long time there, and it was contributing to some of that stuff. I, I think that's for sure the case. But then also, just my general outlook is so much different. I was just saying to someone recently, like, once you learn something, really learn it. You can't unlearn it. I don't think that's possible. So that's kind of how I feel with a lot of this stuff. It's like now that I have this knowledge or understanding about myself, it's you can't unring that bell. So that's a nice feeling and just really cements that faith stuff even harder. But so that wasn't bothering me, attending the wedding and the dance and everything was great. I had a blast. None of that stuff. I was offering to drive people around. I was driving people all over the place. I was having a million nice conversations with people. A lot of people I hadn't seen in so many years, uh, which was really nice. And all of it, all of it was great. The social aspect felt comfortable to me in a way I never had before. That was great. So I want to share stuff with you because I feel like a lot of people have similar anxieties and weird social hangups and stuff. And I, I, you know, I even see and saw other people who I know deal with stuff. I won't get at the wedding weekend. And like my natural, I was like, Oh, I can help you with that because I know, I know exactly what that, I know how fucking crippling it actually feels. And the, the word anxiety gets thrown around a lot, but there's some people where that shit is, paralyzing and crippling and i've been there and uh i do know how much it can improve again nothing's more nothing's more helpful to someone than seeing oh you dealt with this exact thing you corrected it you fixed it you learned you grew you evolved whatever i can too i always bring up 
just the power of that visualization of seeing other people with the, I'm not going to tell the story again, but with the X Games and the backflip, seeing someone do something that you don't think you're capable of doing, that's the human spirit. That's our nature. It then literally physically allows us to do that thing that we didn't think we could do. So common. And people spend so much time being bitter at others instead of just looking and going, wow, I can be inspired by them. Or I could even be inspired by this one aspect of their life. Like, how did they do that? Because that's what I want to do. But yeah, I mean, there was a time years, many years ago, like I wouldn't let anyone ride in my car. Uh, and like when there was a, a period, I was just, everything made me uncomfortable. You, you can get into these strange head places and it's like, it's very specific stuff that's different for different people. And observing other, it's the thing that triggers one person in that unexplainable fight or flight mode is not the same thing that triggers another person. And I do think a lot of that does come from past life stuff. It has to. Our fight or flight mechanism for specific things, if we really have lived, you know, infinite lives since the beginning of humankind, not, I shouldn't say infinite, we wouldn't be up to an infinite amount by now, but let's say it does go infinitely from here, but, or, and, and who knows, it could have been around infinitely other universes other dimensions on and on and on but but point being i think a lot of that stuff is programmed into people inexplicably people have these insane phobias for no apparent reason at all and that's like our base id level of stuff when you're when your fight or flight is mixed up you, you probably went through something specific having to do with that and it might not have been in this life it's like it's like the anti it's like the anti andrew tate show i don't know if y'all know who andrew tate somehow this guy's algorithm is all up in my tiktok and stuff the uh the former kickboxer former webcam porn guy uh millionaire dude who does like the motivational videos and stuff i have listen i happen to agree with a lot of his commentary on society but uh, you know i don't want to knock the guy the messaging to me as someone who reads humans he comes off these people, if you have to call yourself an alpha and King G and all this stuff, like I get why it's, I get why, especially in today's climate, it's appealing. It's especially like to these young, impressionable guys because there is so much unwarranted and has been backlash against masculinity and people saying toxic masculinity. So all these dudes are like, fuck you, man. Like, fuck your feelings. And, that's not masculine either. Like it, it's so counterproductive. Listen again. I was just saying, don't don't be bitter. I'm. I think he's probably very pleased with his life in many ways. He's obviously doing stuff he's passionate about. He's a kickboxer. He's he's using his voice and talking, and he's obviously good at that. And has you know people find him charismatic, and, and God bless him. Everybody could pursue their passion that way. That's what I'm trying to do. So great. But if, if I'm just going to give my personal opinion on stuff, because I do think, you know, he's not the only one. There's a million Andrew Tates out there and they're all given the same messaging. So he, here's the thing with all that when it comes to emotions is all of our emotions come from the same place. You can't pick and choose what to stifle. We shouldn't be stifling what real masculinity is, right? And we shouldn't be stifling our other emotions either. You can't just pick and choose and say, I'm going to shut this part off and leave this part on. That's not how it works. You know, the, the part of us as men that wants to watch sports and watch combat sports and fucking jump off of shit and wrestle with your friends and stare at boobies and talk about butts and boobies, you know, 
that all comes from the same place that makes us sensitive and loving and caring and compassionate and, and wanting to write a poem or something. You know what I mean? Like it's it's weak to not be in touch with your own feeling. Like otherwise, what the fuck are you doing here? Like what are you doing on this earth? You can't take the Bugatti with you. I'm not knocking having nice cool stuff. Fine. But like, what are you doing? I saw Andrew Tate on an interview. They were asking him if he's ever been in love and he finally answered and said, yeah, about he'd guess about 10 times in his life. Like who's in love 10 times? Like in love 10 times at his age? Like is he talking about real love or he probably never had, I don't know. Listen, I don't know anything about the dude. Forget Andrew Tate. I shouldn't be knocking him. I'm talking about the the messaging that comes from that whole community, this alpha, alpha, alpha stuff. Like yeah, be alpha and what it really kind of means. It doesn't mean aggressive. It doesn't mean unfeeling. And if you think about anything, right, what's harder? What requires strength and what makes you weak? If you go, I'm going to bury all my feelings deep down and I'm just going to be like, you know, fuck your feelings, fuck what, 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 it's like, that's that's easier, right? It's a lot harder to actually sit there and allow yourself to feel things and to gather that information I was talking about before and to learn from it and to correct things. And it's like, that takes a lot of fucking strength. That's the strong thing to do. The weak thing is to sit. People think that feeling your feelings, I don't mean wallow in your feelings. That's what I was saying before. Don't live in regret. Don't don't wallow. People actually mistake that for, oh, I'm feeling my feelings because they're sitting there laying in bed, depressed or crying or popping, but whatever. They go, I'm feeling this, but they're not. They're actually, if that's their reaction, they're also protecting their, themselves from feeling it. And then because they are rejecting themselves, because they're a abandoning their their inner selves their inner childs they're abandoning all that shit that's why they're having such an adverse reaction if they were actually allowing themselves to feel it they'd be able to process it it would go through them they would they would recognize all the but as men we do get fucked both ways because it's like don't don't be too sensitive and emotional but also don't be toxically masculine it's it's uh Again, it has the opposite effect. If you want, if you want more chivalrous men, encourage them to gawk at boobs and stuff in an objective way. Don't try to suppress people's emotions. Don't try to suppress the most natural biological thing. If you try to suppress that stuff, you're always going to get a, a counterproductive result. You're never going to achieve what you were saying. Even look at like, I won't give this example. It's too touchy of a topic for people. I'm not getting into that. I was going to say. If if even if you want, I know this sounds horrible to people, but if you wanted to reduce, people keep wanting to talk about the trafficking of women in this country, whether it's through the porn industry and prostitution and all that type stuff. If you were to make prostitution legal, you wouldn't have violent criminals trafficking and pimping women throughout the country, and that's just a fact. And I don't know how many people would then actually become prostitutes. But you can look in other countries where it's the case or even within counties or states in this country where it's legal and the prostitutes aren't being trafficked in those places for the most part. Some are, especially in the surrounding areas they are. But within those exact places, they're really not because there'd be no reason to because it's legal. And then you don't have the violent criminals coming in and then you don't have uh, other women going, yeah, I was going to be a hooker but it was illegal, so, but now that it's legal, I'm going to be a hooker. You might get a few of those, but 
my point being, often when you try to bury something, and that was a weird analogy for what I was talking about, but you get the opposite effect. You make beer illegal till you're 21, all the high school kids are going to be chugging beer. You make beer fully legal at no age or a very young age. In those countries, kids don't get hammered like that off beer because it's like beer's just always been around. It's not this banned thing that we're keeping taboo from you and you can't do. And obviously, no men should be threatening or harassing or any of that type of stuff. But to try to like regulate or monitor our our manlyhood or masculinity or what we feel on the inside, like that's why people have had this other opposite, equally as damaging reaction where they're just overcompensating the shit out of it now and then they're ignoring all the other parts of their emotions. And again, that doesn't make you masculine, that makes you weak. Just because you're, you know, got your chest out ready to punch somebody in the face at the bar when they side look at like, week all of it's the whole the whole outlook of a lot of that stuff is quick easy weak stuff that doesn't require any real strength on any kind of deep level seems to be a lot of bad messaging and i get i get why it's again the reason it's so enticing is because the other side of this country went so crazy in the other direction and if it wasn't for all that you know the woke stuff and all the gender stuff and and all everything else it, it, the polar opposite of that with the aggro shit wouldn't be so appealing. Like, let everybody just be themselves. Everyone's trying to engineer it all from both sides. It's it's a very strange dichotomy going on with that right now. Like I said, we really are here to uplift each other. The positivity over the negativity. You know, and, and social media lately too, Twitter specifically... It just, it really, I must have muted thousands of accounts. I really enjoyed when I took three or four weeks off. The discourse and the divisiveness, I don't know if that's kind of the point. If I was Elon, because uh, to be honest, I think it's kind of becoming the downfall. If I was Elon, I would figure out a way to make it a, a, a more positive, less angry experience somehow. I, w- I would just guesstimate, and maybe it's the algos I'm locked into, but it doesn't seem that way. And I don't even just mean with political stuff, although a ton of it is the political stuff, which is 80% of the people on there at least just seem angry and they're just arguing with each other. And maybe it is more of like a debate platform, but it's not being done in what feels like a healthy way. You can't you can't live in that space too long. It's another good example of what I was talking about with intent, people spending so much time on social or whatever. Like it's not about frequency so much as what are you living in that space? It's like Are you using that for meaning in your life? Something I've really, really gotten into with my own psyche, I found this helpful for me. I keep looking at things like, is this a meaningful thing? Will I remember this later in life? A lot of people knock, you know, music and sports um, or even even some television series and movies. And people often think of that as mindless entertainment, right? But it's not in the sense of, again, What's meaningful and what will you remember in your life? So I could tell you every concert I ever went to, I remember them vividly. Some of the people, you know, Dave Matthews, I've seen so many times Those at the same venue, those shows do blend together. But I could tell you all the shows. I could tell you pretty much all the sporting events. I'll remember going to those Giants-Redskins game with my dad when we I was a little kid, specific things about the exactly where we were sitting and the people that 
were always sitting near us was the same. Like I remember the plays and the games themselves, and I'll remember those for life. I don't think it's all mindless. It's what's our in with those in cases of music and sports and stuff. I think you're actually experiencing something that's emotionally meaningful. You know, if you follow a sports team and you you go on this ride with them, it's an emotional experience, and you go get to go see them play. Or if you're really into a certain band or singer, you listen to their music all the time. Even in those moments alone, listening to the music, you're having an emotional experience. That's why the music's appealing in the first place. And then you get to go see them play live. You're you're going through a real meaningful thing. And it therefore, when you're 80 years old, God willing, you'll still remember that time you went to that amazing show. You You won't remember the debate you were having about how shitty every politician is on Twitter with somebody else. You're not going to remember working on a Excel sheet all night. You're not going to remember 99% of the stuff you spent your time doing. You will remember that great series you watched, Sopranos or something that just stuck with you forever, and you went back and watched it a bunch, and you went through this whole fun, emotional experience. It was impactful on your life in a way that, sounds silly on the surface or people might define as well, watching Sopranos is mindless entertainment. Is it? Compared to what? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? Sorry, I should be sitting down writing this professional email instead. Like, I'll never remember that email. Not saying, not saying you should shuck your duties. I'm saying what's actually meaningful and impactful. Whatever your favorite movies and shows you've ever seen, I guarantee you can recite lines from them and just thinking about them elicits certain memories and emotions in you as if you'd had an experience yourself. So what defines meaning? And, and to me, I started defining it by what's going to stick inside me forever. What am I going to remember? What, I, what am I going to remember feeling? Because if in a year or 10 years or 20 years, I'm never going to remember having done it or feeling anything when doing it, then unless it's out of necessity, which a lot of stuff is, and even that, you should be honing more toward the meaning and, and passions. But you're not going to remember almost any of that stuff. And uh, and with social, yeah, it's just it's so divisive. I wanted to comment. Uh, I'll save it for I'll save it for I got episode fifty coming up. This has been a positive episode. I want to talk about, and I should, but I it's, I feel like it's too long a topic to get into. So maybe I'll do it as part of fifty. The stuff with, with Kanye and all that shit. Uh, I, listen, everyone knows Kanye's crazy. I hope he gets help. I hope he does. I want to be able to play some of his old bangers again without feeling like I'm listening to fucking Hitler. But I, it's 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 more less even him than just the whole vibe of like, yeah, he makes these great points. The, the bullshit, I'm genuinely curious crowd. They're not genuinely curious. It, there's, I want to get into some of that with the anti-Semitism and so forth. Uh, I, I would just say, along with, you know, I was talking about people being too affected by certain messaging coming from like the agro alpha self-identify community. Young, young dudes are impressionable. Probably young, straight, white dudes especially probably feel like nobody's giving them any attention. And so it's it's easy to point them in a direction to take out their feeling of probably some abandonment. But listen, it ain't, it ain't the Jews, bro. Everyone should leave the Jews alone. Really? Like if we, if we wanted to rule the world, 
we'd be trying to recruit people uh, once, one time, one of us would have tried to convert a person before. Just leave, leave all the Jewish people alone. Almost all of us came here from family that was poor as shit from somewhere in Europe or whatever. Came over here in a boat with a fucking blanket and was discriminated against here too and, uh, and made the most out of their lives. They're not controlling anyone or keeping anybody down. Leave everybody alone. So I wasn't going to talk about it this show. Uh, it's just That was just my quick comment. It's just such low-hanging bullshit fruit. Those same old... And then it's always the, why can't you talk about it? You want to talk about the Jew? Like, why do you want to talk about him? What's your point in wanting to bring it up? Is it a problem? Do you think there's a conspiracy that allowed Jewish people to be successful in industries that their families gone into using certain skill sets that have, you know, been... They all graduate high school, all graduate. I'm the only one in my whole family extended through everybody didn't finish college. Forget high school. Every Jew finishes high school because your mom would fucking murder you if you didn't. And I'm not saying that as some, it's just a fact. There's no conspiracy going on there making that happen. So yeah, going to be a lot of successful Jewish people in a lot of tough industries and a lot of specific skill set type industries. Whether that's media or making movies. The Jews had to make movies because they weren't allowed in other industries. But for you to say, well, there's tons of Jews in Hollywood. And are there not great fucking movies? All those Jews in media. What's your point? Are they there from some hidden conspiracy? Is that what you're saying? Or are you just saying it's a problem? And then the the, the question, I guess I am going to talk about it this show a little bit. The question nobody can answer is, what do you want to do about that? You know, this little... Weird. I'm not even, this little weird 4chan kid that's that's Kanye's following around now on all these interviews. I watched uh, Gavin McGinnis interviewing this kid with with Kanye in a in a leather mat. What's going on? He's got a mask on. He's praising Hitler. What is happening? Did CERN fuck up our timeline? Is that's what's going on? They asked this kid. First of all, Kanye can't articulate any of it. Just repeats the same two things. He's lines he's memorized or been fed. It's Please go, I'm no psychiatrist. If he's not bipolar, nobody's bipolar. Take your fucking pills. Make some bangers again. Leave the Hitler shit alone. What are you walking around with the 4chan kid for? (laughs) The kid's talking about, the Gavin asked him, he said, hey, all the Jews in media, like, what do you want to do about that? They can't answer that question. He says, oh, we would apply government values to get rid of porn and so forth. That was his response to that specific question. You want to ban porn? That's that's a different... He's asking you about Jews and media. You're going to go in and say, we're removing you? Mr. Feldstein, sorry. We have a government quota. First of all, don't trust anyone that wants more fucking government interference in your life from any side, point blank, period, totalitarian, fascist, whatever you want to call it. That's obviously lately traditionally comes from the left in this country wanting more and more government, more and more programs, departments. You got these fringe people on the right doing this. We have to apply morality causes to all these companies. No, 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 no. The federal government, these, it's so funny that these people call themselves nationalists. That's not the point of this country. That's not the point of this constitution. They say, well, it was founded by Christian. Fine. But you're not supposed to interfere in every aspect of everybody's life. That's the antithesis of what this country was created on. And more so, it's inconsistent and it'll always be 
left up to interpretation of the left saying, well, we think this is the right belief and the right, and we think this is, no, federal government has like three or four functions and everything else they should be out of our lives about. We don't need central big daddy DC getting into all these areas, especially not when it comes to applying morality. Don't hurt anybody. Don't threaten anybody. Don't take or destroy stuff that isn't yours. There's there's not many rules beyond that. And so I don't care. I don't care where it's coming from. If people want more government in your life. But these dudes are nuts. These, listen, they always go, we're not white supremacy. You know, we're not we're calling us Nazis or whatever. Like these dudes actually are. I don't even know if I want to call them white supremacists. They are just legitimately, you know, racist. And, and the, the, that's the problem. We spend so long calling everybody a racist Nazi, like just for like, you voted for Ron DeSantis, you're a Nazi. Like we, we desensitized everybody to that there are real people that these things are based on. So throwing around these labels at people that don't deserve it. You blur the lines too much. And then when the real thing comes along, people, people don't even... And I don't care really what Kanye says. He's always been a crazy dude that says and does crazy shit. That's his thing. But um, it's more the people that are agreeing and that it's it's being people go, he doesn't have an effect. He does. He's got 30 million people going, maybe he's got a point. And I don't think a lot of them understand or know enough to to really get the context of, of that type of messaging. Again, for me, everything is intent, intent, intent. What are you doing that for? Are you trying to be positive, inspirational? Are you trying to uh, make a contribution? Are you trying to do a good thing? Or are you trying to be negative and divisive and combative and hateful? Like, what is your intention behind what you're doing? And some of that should be just clear as day to way more people. So, so yeah, be loving. Be loving to yourself. Be loving and reach out to people with love. If people can't receive or understand the love and compassion that you're giving out, that's not on you either, Right. You did your part. Keep doing it. Everyone will come along when they're ready to come along. The lessons come to us when we're ready for those lessons. But uh, I'm, I'm going to wrap up. I will rant more next episode, number 50. Please keep an eye out. Maybe I'll do some listener topics for that. Uh, I'll have to think of something special for number 50. So, And uh, and really, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It, it really means a lot. Uh, I love y'all. And I hope everybody's had an amazing week and great weekend, and uh, I will be back in a few days with episode number 50. Thank you so much. Be good.